I got a chance to hear Caroline first service, and I know it's good. And so without further ado, why don't you welcome our kids and family pastor, my friend Caroline. Hello. Hi. Good to be here. As John mentioned, we're on our third week of 40 Days of Faith. And 40 Days of Faith is what we call the Lenten season at the river. We try to take this period as our intentional time to press into God and pray more boldly for ourselves and for people that we love. So this year's theme is um, Spiritual Practices for Dummies. So we have been talking about experiencing God, hearing from God, the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, such things. And I know from hearing um, and talking to some of you that the topics like this can make some of us feel uncomfortable. When we talk about spiritual practices, we're talking about leaning into um, God's supernatural involvement in our life. Some of them sound more normal, like meditation or solitary prayers. Um, But others, like the gift of healing or gift of prophecy, gift of tongues, might sound just weird to you. And rightly so, because it's supposed to be supernatural. And supernatural is not normal. The Bible has many stories where Jesus and his disciples minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Healings and miracles. But even those stories can just sound wild and out of control. Like the tongues of fire coming down from heaven or people speaking in different languages. People acting in a way that others think that they're drunk, you know, etc., Not very reassuring. Then there is the fact that whenever power is involved, any kind of power, there is going to be misuses and abuses. And we hear stories like that. My first uh, spiritual experience of God um, I had when I was around 15. I I grew up in Korea. I was a miserable and mildly depressed, pessimistic teenager. And um, there were issues in my life, and I didn't have people to talk to. So all these angst just turned inward. Then when I was in high school, my mom told me to go to this Christian camp, um, which I really, really didn't want to go. I was also very, very shy and reserved. And... um, My mother was a devout Christian, and my father believed that religions were weak people. So, And I was in the middle, somewhere in the middle, where I believed that God existed, but didn't really feel that had much to do with me. So I was, I didn't know anybody at this camp. I wasn't so sure about Jesus. Um, So it was not a fun situation for me, but for some reason I felt that I should listen to my mom for once. So I went. And as soon as the camp started, there was a worship time. And all these high school uh, students were singing songs about God and that I'd never heard before. So it was a very foreign um, experience for me. All these people are singing about God that I am not really friends with. 
the songs and the culture, all that felt very um, foreign. But strangely, I started crying, and I could not stop crying. It was very embarrassing. You know, this this me who teenager trying to be you know cool, but I couldn't you know get myself together. Later, I heard that many people respond by crying when they are in God's presence. It still happens to me. Then toward the end of the week-long camp, uh, during a prayer time, people were praying for me, and I felt such joy and peace that I never knew before. And at the end of it, without realizing it, I was praying in a different language, I didn't know, which the Bible calls the gift of tongues. More than anything, I felt seen and known and loved in a way that I hadn't before. And because of that, the whole world looked different to me. It was a profoundly life-transforming experience for me. So that was a positive experience. experience of spiritual practices. But on the other hand, I also have people who are close to me in my life who've had, who are taken in by abusive but charismatic spiritual leaders who cause them deep spiritual and emotional and financial damages. To, um, these are people who are uh, very close to me that I love. So what are we to think of it? On the one hand, the Bible talks about it. This was a main ministry of Jesus um, while he was on earth. And some people have positive experiences like I did. But on the other hand, we are human. And there are inherent risks in venturing into territories like this. Is it worth it? It may be worth it for others. Is it worth it for you? This question is hard to answer because, partly because, sometimes we're not clear about what it is for to begin with. What are we really taking the risk for? What's the point of exercising spiritual gifts and engaging God in a supernatural way? If we're clear about the purpose for these spiritual practices, then perhaps it will be easier for us to assess the risk and the benefit and see if we're willing to take that risk. Also, if we know what the fruit, what fruit we're hoping for from exercising our spiritual gifts, if we know the goal, if we know the purpose of it, we can evaluate if they are working or not, and we can minimize the risk of misusing them, right? So what is the spiritual practices for? I think the key to this question is who the Holy Spirit is. Because we're engaging the Holy Spirit when we exercise our um, spiritual gifts. We're using her gifts. As Charles talked about last week, the Holy Spirit is the gift from Jesus that was poured upon people the first time 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the day of the Pentecost. 
Toward the end of his life on earth, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit a lot to his disciples uh, and tells them to wait for her, that he's sending her to them. You may be confused why I'm calling her her, but um, God is both male and female, but we mostly refer to God as he. So I like to call the Holy Spirit as she to balance it out, you know. It sometimes, you know, causes confusion, but. So Jesus says to his disciples right before his death, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. She's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Jesus, God personified, had to go away. He was with them, but it was time to leave. He was in a human form. But he was sending another advocate in his place, and this advocate will never have to leave you, was what he was saying. So you see, the Holy Spirit is our everlasting connection to God. In some mysterious ways, the cross made it possible for us to be one with God again. Even Jesus, when he was on earth, he was with people, but he was outside of people. He was not within them. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we're one. She is our supernatural connector. See, that's our uh, River Kids theme for 40 Days of Faith. Holy Spirit, supernatural connector. So then... When we think about exercising the gift from the Holy Spirit, who was our connect, who is our connector, it would only make sense that they're used to bring more connections. The fruit of spiritual practices need to be connections, God-empowered connections, either deeper connections to God, to ourselves to one another, or restored connections where there were disconnections before. That was my experience of God when I first had my first spiritual experience. The famous list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians mentions love at the top of the list. It goes, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace. I know Peter can rap on that, but. Um, The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not about the show of power. It's not about just showing people how powerful God is. That may happen, but the, the goal is, the true purpose of it is love. It's not about showing holiness or keeping us holy. It's about love because the Holy Spirit is love. Spiritual gifts and practices are tools given to us to partner with the Holy Spirit in her supernatural work of connecting people to themselves, to God, and to one another and the world around us. And when we look with this lens, we can see that Jesus does this all the time 
in the stories in the Bible. Whenever he interacts with people, he brings connections to them. And he objects to those who bring disconnection. So let's read together a fun story um, to see Jesus in action. It's from Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 5. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. It's another way of saying he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. There is this painting that I included. Um, so in our kids program, we always tell a story um, every week. There's a storyteller who tells a story and discuss the you know discuss with kids and even preschoolers do that. So Lena, our nursery and preschool director, was telling me this story. Um, that this was the story. This story we just read was uh, the preschools story of the week few few weeks ago and so she she shared the story with the kids and asked so what do you think about the story and the everyone was quiet until one girl blurted out he was faking it <laughs> and i just love that story <laughs> because even she noticed that it's weird right it's you know he's not supposed to get up and walk so, you know, some of us, I am sure, the thought crossed our mind. So, a lot going on in this story. But since we're talking about the Holy Spirit as our supernatural connector, let's focus on what kind of connections are being made here. First of all, there is the healing of his illness. The man brought in was paralyzed. He was unable to walk himself, so had to be carried in. When you're sick, there's a way in which that you lose connection to part of yourself, you, your body, clearly. He, his will and his mind could not connect with his body and move it. His choices. 
When you're paralyzed, you don't get to make choices. Sickness narrows down your life and limits your choices. In relationships, serious illness has a way of isolating people. You don't have the physical access to people as much, and you can't fully be part of a family or the community because of your limitation. Life directions. This man was paralyzed. He had no future. There is no hope. There is no point in thinking about what do I want to do when I grow up. For him, illnesses have a way of alienating us from ourself, our own life, our own body, and the people around us. So when Jesus heals him, he's not only fixing his body. But empowering him to connect to his body, to his life choices, to his future, to his community, and his family. Then, then there is forgiveness. It's another kind of connection that's happening in the story. There are different ways to interpret the word sin, and it could be some people interpret it as wrongdoings, offense, or disobedience. Where some talk about more something more fundamental, like the Franciscan priest Richard Rohr defined sin as the illusion of our separateness from God. So he's talking more about our condition of disconnection from God. But whatever the meaning of sin is, forgiveness is something very relational, right? It happens in a relational setting. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven. He is implying that the young man's standing before God has been restored. Now he is able to approach him and access him, which I think must have been deeply meaningful to this young man, because in this time, in this culture, disability was understood as a curse, was a, a punishment from God. People thought that there must have been some grave sin or offense against God for you to be struck with a disability like this. So when he was being carried in like this by his friends to Jesus, perhaps he was self-conscious. He was conscious of being in the presence of a holy man. He was perhaps conscious of people perceiving him as disfavored by God. And he probably thought that himself too. So there was a huge barrier between him and God. And Jesus comes right out saying, "Young man, your sins are forgiven," and connects him to God. This offends the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because, according to the law, The man would have had to go through the sin offerings and proper rituals to have the access to God. Even then, this young man would not have had the full access because of his disability. The lame and the disabled were not allowed into the temple. They would not been able to become priests, for example. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, much of their power came from. Controlling who gets to have the access to God, 
Who gets to be considered holy? Who needs to stay out of the temple? And how do you get back into it? It's very similar dynamic as today. When churches try to control who gets to call themselves Christian, or who gets to be a leader based on your gender or sexual orientation or your political views. But here, Jesus, without requiring the young men of anything, calls him forgiven and gives him direct access to God. He didn't even say sorry. Did you catch that? There was no condition to this forgiveness. And it was made possible by his friends. It was their faith that made it possible. And to shut up the haters, Jesus also tells him to get up and walk and heals him. Boom. (laughs) And then there are other kind of beautiful connections being made. And they're made by the sick man's friends. Because of his illness, the sick man cannot bring himself to Jesus. That was the reality of alienation that he was living in. So his friends act to bridge the gap. They carry, they carry their friend on a mat to Jesus. They're the agents of connection here in the story. They are aiding the Holy Spirit ministry without even realizing it. But there's another barrier. There are too many people in the house, and they cannot get to Jesus. So in their determination, they carry their friend to the roof, which I'm sure was not easy, and then remove another barrier, the roof tiles, and create an opening. It's almost making an opening toward heaven. And make the connection between their friend and Jesus possible. And the story says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. It was their faith, not the young man's faith. You see, they acted as partners to Jesus in the work of the Holy Spirit. They're our, they're our role models as we try to grow in spiritual practices. As I said, the spiritual gifts and practices are tools from God to partner with the Holy Spirit in her supernatural work of connecting people to themselves, to God, and to others. And the fruit of their love and service for their friend is amazing. Not only is he healed physically and able to lead his life fully, But also he is spiritually restored to God. Because the years of isolation and the discrimination must have left a mark in his heart and in his spirit. With his connection to God restored and open, he can begin to heal. Spiritually and emotionally as well. Healing someone's spirit, that's an eternal change. Right, His body is healed, but only until he dies. But his spirit is forever changed. On the other hand, 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders stand in contrast from these friends. In the beginning of the story, we find that these people come from all over the place and watch Jesus. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. They, too, think they're doing God's work. They want to make sure that Jesus is not doing anything blasphemous, anything against the law, anything that might corrupt their culture and their temple system. They sit nearby and watch. And their bodies, their physical presence, become the literal barrier that stands between Jesus and the sick man. And when Jesus restores the connection between the sick man and God, they object. They argue its validity. They might believe that they are on God's side, doing God's work, but they are working as the agents of disconnection here. As Jesus says in the book of Matthew about Pharisees and other religious leaders, they shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and they won't go in themselves. So they're like the example of what not to do for us. The same way, if the way we exercise the spiritual gifts create disconnection more than connection, then we need to stop and examine what we're doing. Our guiding principle is connection. Are we seeing the fruit of connection through spiritual practices? It is not just the connection to God also that we're looking for. We want connection to ourselves connection to others, because deep, genuine connection to God cannot happen without the connection to self and others as well. When we focus on the connection to God at the expense of connection to self, we mistake obedience as trust. Obeying without questioning is not trust. When there is true trust in our relationship with God, we are free to question and object and argue with them as well. When we don't have that kind of trust, blind obedience can create deep disconnection within self that is greatly damaging. And often that's how these Holy Spirit ministry can go really wrong. So, as Jesus and the sick man's friends in this story show us, spiritual gifts and practices are tools from God to experience deeper connections with him and within ourselves and with others and to partner in his work of connection. Which I think is the story God is writing here on earth, the story. The story of connection. So then how can we explore these gifts wisely? I want, I have um, four step suggestions. The first, consider the risk against the benefit of connection. 
As we move deeper into these, it's this territory, I'd like us to keep our eyes open. Ignoring reservations and just doing it is not a sign of strong faith. There are risks involved in this. It is also true that pretty much everything in life involves risk. If we try to love someone, if we invest in a relationship, there's always a risk that we will get hurt or hurt somebody. So how much are we willing to risk if it is for connection? Can we at least try some and see if it's really worth it? There's several ways to try them, um, easily available at the river. So my second suggestion is try on different spiritual practices and do it for connection. So among the several ways that I will talk about, you can decide what you want to try, because some might feel more natural and some might feel more weird to you. Uh, easiest way, perhaps, is the daily guide. Um, there, we um, During 40 Days of Faith, there's a daily guide that you can find in your River app, and it has some Bible passage and some explanation or insights into the passage, and it also gives a spiritual practices that you can try. Last week, it was about journaling and trying to listen to God through that. Um, this week, I uh, talk about centering prayer to be able to um, access God directly. So you could try that. There's uh, our second experience workshop is coming up. It's on Friday, April 7th at 7 o'clock right here. It's a place where we can explore and try different things out safely in the community. Um, um, that It's a great time to be um, trying things out with, with the minimal risk because we, we do that with mutual understanding that we're uh, not masters at this, but we're um, exercising this and trying to get better at it. Thirdly, the prayer team gives prophetic words every week. Um, it's, I know it sounds sometimes weird that um, they, what they do. Uh, they try to listen to God together before service and see what God might have in mind um, for people who are here today. So they have extended the invitation to anyone to try and sit in one of those there listening to God session and praying for each uh, people. So that's the invitation. You might not have even had um, gotten up and got prayers from the prayer team yet. If that's you, go get prayer is another way to try this out. Or pray for others. As a part of 40 Days of Faith, we talk about praying for five people. Um, so pray for others, but specifically and boldly. So you could see if connections are made, being made in their lives as you pray for them. So pick any of these things. Try a few times. Don't just rush into conclusion after first try. But after trying some, measure the fruit by connection. Do you feel more connected to yourself? 
or to God or to others. If you're praying for others, do they feel more connection? If not, do you feel disconnection? Where do you feel disconnection? But don't confuse discomfort with disconnection. They're not necessarily the same. And if you feel the disconnection, move deeper into connection with them. If you feel that in some area, talk to God about it. Use the disconnection to connect to God. Use it to um, search your feelings and thoughts to connect deeper with yourself. Talk to others you trust about it. Even with the feeling of disconnection, when you're willing to pause and reflect, we can move deeper into connection. And if disconnection continues, try something else. Take a pause. No shame. No guilt in that. So, first, consider the risk against the benefit of connection. Two, try on different spiritual practices for connection. Three, measure the fruit by connection. Four, move deeper into connection. Did I mention that it was, it's all about connection? I have, um, before I wrap up, I have a bonus suggestion for you guys today. I know it's kind of long, but this I really wanted to share with you. That my final suggestion is practice the gift of forgiveness. Because this is a spiritual gift that's one of the most powerful spiritual gifts that we all can exercise with very little risk. But often we, don't, we forget to use it or we don't even realize that it is the gift that we have. Just as the sick man in the story received forgiveness because of his friend's faith, we also are given the gift to forgive others and restore them to God and to each other. Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection this, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It sounds kind of crazy, but it, it is true. The practice of forgiveness has such power in restoring relationships. It has helped my marriage tremendously. When you feel hurt by each other in any kind of relationships, Barriers get created in the relationship. And the practice of forgiveness has the power to remove those barriers and reconnect instead of keep piling on a barrier after another barrier. So then how do you do that? It's simple. When someone feels burdened by their past actions, weighed down by the feeling of guilt and shame, listen to them. And afterward, say, look, in, look them in the eye and say, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. You're forgiven. That's it. It's simple, but very hard to do. And remember, when you say, I forgive you, they're also forgiven by God, by your faith. 
You're removing the barrier between this person and God. And if you feel burdened by regret and guilt in a way that it comes in the way of your connection with yourself, God, and others, get somebody to pray for you. Share it with somebody. Life group is a great place to exercise this. Or you can seek out one of the pastors or the leaders in the church. So that's as I wrap. Up, um, that's it. And I'm as I wrap up. I would like us to take one minute. I want to give you one minute to think about: Are there things that are weighing you down? Are there things uh, that regrets or guilt or shame that you feel? That gets in the way of you connecting with God or others or even with yourself, true self. I would like us to take a moment to think about that. And I want to exercise my gift of forgiveness and pray for you at the end. If you will look at me, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. You're forgiven. You're free from those burdens. Amen.